Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for that lovely music. I said it before and I'll say it again, but I am so impressed every time I come to worship. The prayer and the effort put into that, it's lovely. It never fails to focus my heart, my thoughts, my mind on Christ, on God. We're going to read today our text is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your presence, for your mindfulness and your faithfulness, for your word. Oh God, this word that is a light in the darkness, this word that is a lamp. This word that is nourishment and sustenance. This word, Father, that quickens us and cleanses us. This word that we stand upon. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak it to us today. That your spirit would drive it forth into our hearts, God. And that we would truly hear it and truly understand it. And respond to it appropriately. I pray that you just get me out of the way and let, let your spirit do the talking, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a set of notes here. I've studied this out all week, and I've, I've prayed about it, and I've meditated on it, and I've thought about it. And Something just occurred to me as we were singing, and I was thinking about this message, and And it's not in my notes. But what occurred to me was how amazing this is. That God would ask of us that we sacrifice ourselves. That we offer ourselves to him. That we give him ourselves. What? profit could that be for him I mean think about it now consider it reason it in your mind in in whatever field you you abide in whatever you know you have dedicated your life to do think about the most perfect thing in that field and then consider adding to it you know I like to do art I, I like to attempt to 
do art. I like to paint and sculpt. And, and I look at the masters of days gone by, you know, these, these beautiful pieces that hang in museums, and I shudder to think that someone would have me take a brush and add to one of those. And here we have God. Creator, holy, 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 like we just sang. He's wonderful. He's altogether lovely. He is perfect. And he's saying, I can gain something from you. Offer yourself to me. What a privilege that is to be brought into this work that God is doing. I think it would be it would be good for us to remind ourselves of that, that this is a privilege. It's a privilege to do anything for the Lord, whether that be preach, teach, whether that be minister, whether that be witness, testify, whether that be suffer, whether that be die. It's a privilege. So before I get too far off, I'll go to my notes. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. I really want to understand this because we have to understand this to be able to respond to it. We have to understand it to be able to offer ourselves to him rightly. So we begin at precisely what are the mercies of God because this is the motivation right Paul is saying I want you to offer yourselves to God a living sacrifice why because of the mercies of God well what are the mercies of God the compassion or mercies of God is the work of salvation God has wrought in the life of the believer salvation. We are set free. We're getting ready to remember the 4th of July, our, our liberty. We need to remember that and remind ourselves every moment, every breath that we are free. We have been redeemed by God. The work, this work, Paul outlines for us in the preceding chapters. From chapter 1 all the way to here. That's why there's a therefore there. I urge you, therefore. What's, there, what's the therefore? Therefore, chapters 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And what do we find in those chapters? Well, we find terms we use all the time. Election, calling, regeneration, these concepts are in those chapters. Conversion, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, glorification. These doctrines, we call them soteriology, are the doctrines of salvation. And if you go back through and you begin to notice in chapters 1 through 11, that's what Paul is talking about. You know, I used to think in my mind that Ephesians was the quintessential, you know, tome on, on doctrines of theology. But if we look at Romans, we can find it there as well. And you know, if any of those terms are unfamiliar to you or if they sound confusing, well, all they're referring to is the work performed by God 
And that is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in unity to reconcile all of us to himself. And it's a work so profound that creation looks upon it in awe. Imagine. I mean, that goes back to what I mentioned at the very beginning. Here we are, wretched, depraved, miserable, rebellious creatures. And I don't care if you got saved when you were eight years old. Because just the off-white blemish in front of God is black as black. In chapters 1 through 11, Paul makes plain the truth that all men have sinned and are separated from God forever condemned. Consider that. You know, you want to talk about the antediluvian days, the days prior to the flood when, when God looked down and he saw that the heart of man was evil continuously? Well, consider it. Adam had been repulsed out of the garden. They'd been cast out of the garden. They lost their fellowship. They had fallen from fellowship with God, and there was no hope of reconciliation. But here we're told there's hope for us. God sent his son. And a way has been made through Jesus Christ whereby all our sins can be forgiven. And so in Christ we can be free from condemnation. All our sins are forgiven. Isn't that some of the most lovely language in Scripture? Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. So in those 11 chapters, Paul is telling us that we are chosen by God, called by God, made alive and renewed by his spirit, justified by Christ, adopted as sons through Christ, and set apart to the service of God, always striving toward holiness, kept by the spirit of God, and waiting for the day when we will be perfected. And that's actually just the common definition of the terms I gave earlier. It doesn't have to be a confusing thing. You know, when Peter stepped out of the boat, when Jesus was walking on water and he stepped out of the boat and he became distracted by the wind and the waves, did he go into some theological treatise on, you know, the Lord, you are my redeemer, my Savior? No, he said, Lord, save me. And that's all we have to do. Lord, save me. These are the mercies of God. The response of the Christian in offering themselves completely to God comes only when the realization that this offering is the only appropriate response to the work God has wrought in our lives. In other words, Paul could have said something like, in light of all that God has done for you, you should, as a natural response, worship him. That's why I'm so confused when I meet individuals who say, oh, I was saved, I I prayed a prayer, I was born again, Uh, uh, I know Jesus, and yet they have no desire, no inclination to worship God. 
Obviously, you haven't been saved. Obviously, you haven't been lifted up out of the miry clay or brought out of the darkness into the marvelous light or freed from the shackles of sin and depravity. Because if you were, you would bow before this holy God and proclaim him glorious. The NASB here renders the response to this as a spiritual service of worship, right? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Other versions say spiritual worship or reasonable worship. The King James calls it reasonable service, and so do many other versions. Some of them even say intelligent service, and that makes perfect sense, does it not? If you're an intelligent, reasoning, thinking human being who has been delivered from hell, you're going to say thank you. And all, all, those, all those phrases are fine. But you know what? I'm glad for the addition of the word worship. As it more accurately relays the desired response. The Greek word used in all of those phrases speaks of absolute service to God. Whenever you read service of worship, it's talking about you are indentured to service to God. But the sense of the word is you are indentured to service to God in worship. And that's why that word's been added in the more modern versions because they recognized and they realized that this is our response to what he has done. We worship him. How do we worship him? Well, the first use of a word in the Old Testament translated as worship is a Hebrew word meaning to bow down. Anyone want to venture a guess as to where that word is found? For the first time, we're introduced to worshiping God. Genesis, where Abraham is taking Isaac to the altar. He tells the men with him, says, stay here. The, the, the lad and I are going to go bow down before God. We are going to go worship. In the New Testament, a similar thing occurs. The first use of a word translated as worship is a Greek word meaning to fall prostrate in adoration or homage. Where do you think that occurs? In Matthew, when the Magi are seeking where Jesus was born. Are you sensing a theme here? Paul is saying the appropriate response to the gift of salvation that God has so freely given is for the Christian, that's supposed to be us, to surrender ourselves to God in a state of continual and progressive worship. We are to bow down. We are to prostrate ourselves. We are to humble ourselves before him. Now, there are other words in the Bible that are used to be translated into worship, and those words mean fear, reverence, adoration, servitude, surrender, and love. That's how we worship 
God. It begins with humbling ourselves and bowing down, and then we surrender ourselves and because we fear him, but that fear turns into reverence, and that reverence turns into adoration and love. This should be a voluntary response. Paul is urging us, he's imploring or entreating us, He's calling us to a closer relationship with God. Notice, it's not a command. I command you. He's saying, I urge you. Why? Because it should be a natural response. For me, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was without hope, but now I have hope to the uttermost. I was dead, and now I am alive all due to the love and mercy of God. I, for some, it may seem like, well, this is preaching to the choir. This is familiar ground. We've heard it all before, but I think we need to be reminded of it. Why? Paul thought it necessary, and more so the Holy Spirit thought it necessary. Hey, Read chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. Remind yourself of where you came from and what God has done and then worship Him. Every day, I had the opportunity yesterday to speak to a Muslim and we've had conversations before and he was questioning me though on on some of this stuff and I told him, he he was questioning me on why God said, "Um, I am a jealous God. He said, You know, that doesn't sound very godly. And I said, well, God isn't saying he's jealous like we say he's jealous, like we say we're jealous. He's not talking about the jealousy that we experience. He's talking about a jealousy of that we are his. And he loves us so much. He wants to keep us secure and safe. And everything he does works to that effort. And that's what this does. What happens when we begin to worship God? We get into right thinking. We get into right expectation. We get into right attitude and behavior when we begin to worship God, when we exalt him. And that's for our good. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus was met by ten lepers who lifted up their voices, crying out for Christ to have mercy upon them. That was us, right? To enter in into salvation, to enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, we at one point had to lift up our voice and say, have mercy on me, save me, I'm a sinner. Lepers back in this day, they had to walk around going, unclean, unclean, unclean. And you know what? Every Everything I did, every particle of my being was screaming out, unclean, unclean. And yet, Christ had mercy on me just as he had on these lepers. As the lepers turned, you know, Jesus, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus told them, go, present yourself to the priest. And as the lepers turned to go, they each noticed, hey, I'm cleansed. So they went to the priest to fulfill the law. But one turned back. 
And it says he turned back to Jesus loudly praising God and fell on his face at the feet of Jesus giving him thanks. What was he doing? Worshiping him. And in Luke 17, Jesus said, and Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? He wasn't even Jewish. And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And in some versions it says whole. The ten were all physically cleansed, but only one was made whole. Only one was made well. The Greek here is saying that, and this is the translation of it, this is the definition of the word, that he was altogether saved. He was delivered and protected. That's the definition of the Greek used. He was made whole. If that doesn't insinuate a state of salvation, I don't know what will. The other nine, they're cleansed and they're going to the temple to, you know, show that they are. But this one, he was altogether made whole. And how did that come about? He turned and worshipped God. We need to turn and worship God for what he has done. To offer your body a sacrifice to God It's actively and purposefully offering ourselves to God as a constant declaration to God that we trust him. Is that true? Romans 12, 1, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Present your body. What does this mean? It's a complete offering of self to God. The life of a Christian is not just some philosophical endeavor. The life of a Christian encompasses all aspects of reality. Christ is not saying, look, I want your intellect or I want your emotion, I want your heart. He's saying, I want all of you. I want all of you. I want your intellectual, your emotional, your spiritual, and your physical For some, this is a new concept. Well, you know, we want to compartmentalize our relationship or our religion. We want to compartmentalize it. Okay, it's good for Sunday. It's good for Thursday prayer meeting. It's good for every now and then an event. The rest of the time is my time. Or, Or, you know, I pray, I read the Bible, I love him in my heart and I think about him, but, you know, what I put in my body is my business. No, it's not. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? He's not talking about your mind or your heart. He's talking about your body. Whom you have from God and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body the offering of self to God is one of singular totality the declaration must be whatever God wills in my life I am his and his alone that changes things 
And you know what? If God were not good, that would terrify me, that statement. What is it saying? Well, it goes back to the saying, what can the clay say to the potter? Right? That's humbling. That strikes at the heart of pride. What? Wait a minute now. I'm set free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You know, I'm, I'm at liberty. The Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Yes, there's liberty. But our response should be, I am totally yours because you have bought me. I wrote here in my notes, to offer your body a sacrifice to God is the very embodiment of our faith. And that really is, if, if we can, and I'm including myself in this, if we can come to an understanding of this, offering our bodies, ourselves, our entirety to God, a sacrifice, meaning do whatever you will, Lord, I think we could grow. I think we could see some magnificent works of God in our lives and the lives of our families. But I guess then we have to understand what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Paul talks in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So if it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, then that means we are living in such a way that we, even though we don't understand what God's doing, we have absolute and total trust and we praise him and worship him in everything he does do and everything that does occur in our lives. Now that is freedom. What? Yes, that means I can be abused for the sake of the gospel and still go... Praise be to the living God. That means men could hate and revile me for Jesus' name's sake, and I can still turn and love them. It takes all the onus off of me and puts it on him. If I just worship him... He leads me and guides me and keeps me in that path of righteousness and strengthens and encourages me. And the word really takes on new meaning and new life at that point. I know we're all familiar with Romans 8.28. We could all just spout it right off, can't we? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, if we can get this sense then that makes that real. Whatever comes, he's working for good, no matter how bad it seems at the time, because I'm offering my body a living sacrifice. I read those words in Romans 8, 28 through 32, and, and I just wanted to like rejoice when I was studying this out. 
Why? Because for whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestinated, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. He's talking in past tense of something that hasn't even occurred yet, but he's doing so because he has absolute faith and trust that God will perform it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Do you you hear what I'm saying? This is in effect announcing, God, I know You are true. Your word is true. I will stand upon that truth with my mind, with my heart, with my spirit, and with my physical body. I believe you. I heard the testimony of a Muslim woman, a woman that was Muslim that converted to Christianity, living in a Muslim country, and one of the biggest fears they have is if you're caught... You're persecuted. And it's not just, you know, somebody shaking their finger at them. Or it's not just them losing their job or losing their social status. No, it's them losing their freedom, losing their physical freedom, losing their life. And one of the biggest concerns for women is that, you know, they may be accosted and molested. I don't I don't want to use any other language, but you know what I'm saying. And she was asked about this, what's going to be your response? And while she admits, you know, how, you, know you can't necessarily know your response, but she says, my response ought to be, I worship you, Lord. I'm sacrificing my body for you. This is my offering my body to you. And for us, that's extreme, probably almost an alien thought. What? But that's where we need to come to. That no matter what this world does to us, no matter what the enemy brings on, no matter what occurs in our lives, if we are walking according to the word of God, then we offer ourselves to God in it. Whether it be a physical illness that, you know, really limits our life, we're still servants of the living God. He's still God, right? And we ought to be able to worship him and praise him in it. And that's just our offering in this life. Or whether it be torture and persecution for the gospel's sake. Thinking about that, that brings healing. I'm not limited to just my life being a good life. Right? I don't have to be in perfect health for God to be true. I don't have to be wealthy for God to be true. Everything doesn't have to go perfectly my way for God to be true. What joy that should bring, what courage that should bring. That's how a a missionary can step out into the mission field with the threat of death and violence. Because they've come to the realization that We ought to offer, we ought to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God. 
It brings courage. It brings liberty. It brings life. I'm, I'm taking too long. But it's profound. This message is profound. I want this word to be alive for me. This word is my nourishment. This word is cool drink. And when I'm, when I'm overheated, this word is food for my soul. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. In Romans chapter 6, we can read that we are to present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Why? Because we have risen in Christ. And we were dead in sin, but now we are alive. It's a living sacrifice. That means our Christian life should be active and meaningful and of continual service. Our Christian life should be a powerful life. Our Christian life should be a transformative life. Because we have been transformed. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a holy sacrifice. Again, in Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us, So now present your members as slaves of righteousness. We were slaves to sin. Now we're supposed to present our bodies and our lives as slaves to righteousness. I know we don't like that word either, but that's what we are. Or at least that's how we should see it. Hebrews 13 says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. And this is another one of those instances that we can look at and be amazed and say, How is it that you, God, allow me to work with you? Because this is an active role in our own sanctification. Yes, God, his spirit coming to us makes us holy, actively working to make us holy. But we also work in that as well. We choose holiness. We choose a sanctified life. Engaging in continual worship of God as a manner of living is to bring ourselves into a closer walk with God. This can only be accomplished by continually seeking Him through meditating on and study of Scripture, through prayer, through worship and praise and testimony and song. The sanctifying and life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit will increase more and more. Don't you desire that? Don't you want that? And if we're engaged in doing that, then this is waiting upon and serving the Lord. And it's for our good. Isaiah 40, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You want the secret to it? Worship him. Offer your body a living sacrifice. 
Hebrews 10, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's all, it's the totality of our lives. And I'm finishing up. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The continual and increasing offering of ourselves to God as living, holy sacrifices will bring about such a renewal of mind that any desire to be conformed to this wicked, awful, depraved world will grow less and less with each passing day. Isn't that what we're supposed to be looking for? Each day growing closer and closer to him. Each day growing closer and closer to eternity. We, we ought to know this, right? You know, we hear often people talking about the day of the Lord, the return of the Lord. You know what? I don't know when that is. I know he's coming, but chances are you're going to go to him first. <laughs> so either way, you're going to be before him. As our wills begin to decrease and the Holy Spirit begins to increase in us, we will then begin to discern more clearly the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for our lives. And even when we do not understand why something is occurring in our lives, we will be able to continue moving forward because our daily practice of bowing to the will of God, of offering ourselves a living sacrifice, has cemented our trust in Him as our Heavenly Father. If we can't worship Him, we can't trust Him. So, as Brother Bill Seaver always likes to mention, what is the application? Right? Well, if chapters 1 through 11 brought us to the conclusion that this is warranted and justified, our offering our bodies a living sacrifice, then the remainder of this chapter and the rest of the book shows just how we live out this sacrifice with each other. And it begins with verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you use pitiful men to present it. And I pray that your spirit would carry it forth, Lord, and, and let it work in us and let it renew our minds, Lord, and let it make us new and give us a better understanding so that we might walk in the hope and the joy and the strength and the glory of it and that you might be magnified to all the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.